like that. You want to try that. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this Tuesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Uh, yeah, Tuesday. It sounds weird saying it, but that is the route we are going for this week. I have wanted to get a show out for a while, and I'm going to be on a little break from doing the show for about a week, maybe a little bit longer. We don't know right now. So I wanted to get a show out before. So if you didn't know what's going on, I'm getting my implant done. Woohoo! It's finally happening. And so with that being said, I'm not going to be able to talk as normally as I would as if nothing was going on to begin with. So I'll be out. I did not get a show done for Friday, and I didn't get a show done for Monday, which is today when I'm recording this. And I want to get a show out in general because there's been a lot of cool things going on this weekend. And we're just going to rumble. We're going to do a quick thing to start off. And then we're going to go right into what we want to talk about today, which is a lot of NFL stuff. If you already didn't figure that out already. And some college football stuff as well. Just football in general. Just, uh, just a lot of football. Okay, so first off, start this off with a big congratulations to the Columbus crew on winning the MLS Cup. Give yourselves a round of applause, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah, a lot, very one-sided game. Watched the entirety of that game. Columbus dominated from the start, and they just looked to be too much for Seattle. And it looked, it was kind of surprising to me. Now, my, I, my dad wasn't watching it. I was dog-sitting for my aunt and uncle this weekend. So it was me and the dog Ari watching the game. And my dad texted me. I didn't know if he was watching the game or not, so I texted him and was like, he said, was this an upset? I said, well, yes and no. Columbus is the lower seed. Technically, they're the three seed, while Seattle is the two seed. But it's at Columbus. They have a very, very good home record at Matt Fire Stadium, the original soccer-specific stadium in the MLS. And... Yeah, they looked very, very, very good in that game. Um, yeah, they just looked good. They looked very good. Played a 6, 7, and 8 seed going to the final. I had them losing in the conference finals to Philadelphia. Almost picked Columbus, if I remember correctly. Um, but yeah, they just played very good. They played very, very good in the MLS's Cup playoffs. The MLS Cup playoffs, not the MLS's Cup playoffs. Um... But yeah, as a recap, for the playoffs, if you didn't watch any of it, uh, Sporting Kansas City, they lost in the second round, the, con- the conference semifinals to Minnesota 3-0. Um, yeah, just a very not great display from Sporting Kansas City in that game whatsoever. Very weak performance, I guess you could say. Not very spirited performance. Uh, it was Johnny Russell basically taking on the entirety of Minnesota United and it showed Johnny Russell looked very ticked off at the end of the game, and rightfully so, because he was, at times, the last defender for Sporting Kansas City. And I know we talked about that a little bit, and they've made some offseason moves. They didn't re-sign or extend Winston Reed's loan deal from West Ham. When he signed, when that was announced, that he was coming over to Sporting Kansas City on loan, I was pumped. I was like, this is a big statement of intent for Sporting. Winston Reed... Very experienced Premier League player with West Ham United. Had been there for about 10 years. I think he first started there in, what, 2012? I could be wrong on that. But I was happy. He battled injuries. But the experience he brought and the leadership that he had in the back, he was West Ham's vice captain for numerous years behind Mark Noble. So I was like, wow, this is a very big statement of intent. And then the Alan Polito thing came. I was like, this is another statement of intent. Sporting finished, I think, 11th place in the Western Conference last year. They finished as the top seed. And we talked about this after Sporting lost to Minnesota United. That And this got brought up on the broadcast during the game as well. That Sporting never really looked like the best team in the Western Conference. Not once. They'd have times of looking very, very good. But then they'd have other times of where they struggled mightily. And that's what happened in the playoffs. You saw that in the MLS's back tournament. You saw that in the MLS Cup playoffs. They got played off the field against Philadelphia in the MLS's back tournament. They got played off the field against Minnesota in this one. So it hurts. It, it There's going to be some changes. Matt Beasler, club legend, club captain, is no longer going to be a part of the team, which not surprised about. He didn't really play a lot towards the latter part of the season. And 
DMLS is back tournament, you started to see him getting filtered out of the team slowly. You saw, so Puncek, Roberto Puncek, had, he was the, ML, the, the defender of the year for Sporting Kansas City this season. So he was a lock-in. And then Graham Smith played a lot of minutes early in the season when Winston Reed was recovering from injuries at center back partnering Puncek. Is that going to be the rotation going into this season, Puncek and Graham Smith? I don't know. All I know is that they're going to need to spend some money or get some loan moves done for center backs because Beasler, even though he wasn't playing, and Winston Reed, those are two big losses for sporting as regards to depth. Maybe not the best players. Winston Reed had a very topsy-turvy season for Sporting Kansas City, to put it lightly. And, yeah, now he's gone. So where does Sporting turn at the center back department? Do they go down to the Swope Park Rangers? Do they go somewhere else? Do they look at some big free agents that are going to be available, which I haven't checked the free agent market in the MLS, so I don't really know who's going to be there. But are they going to try and sign a big money transfer like they did with, say, Alan Polito, club record transfer fee? I don't think they're going to spend that much money on a center back. Like, Alan Polito is $10 million, I believe. I don't think they'll spend that on a center back. I think they'll just get a reliable center back. Now, if they do go over their budget like that, because Alan Polito is a world uh, sport, a club record transfer fee. After trading away Dom Dwyer to Orlando, Sporting struggled finding a striker. They rotated with uh, Rubio, Diego Rubio. I almost forgot his first name. That didn't work. And it was frustrating to watch them struggle without an actual striker. You saw Kiri Shelton play striker before he went over to Germany, which I still don't know how he swindled his way over to Germany. Uh, Eric Hurtado started a lot of games. He's a late second-half substitution at best, but he's a he scores, scores some worldies when he comes in, but Alan Polito, with him being out of the team, you could feel that, and him missing the playoffs really hurt Sporting's chances of making the MLS Cup championship game and having a chance to win their third MLS Cup. This is... So they're going to make some moves this offseason, but Minnesota played really good. Reynoso, great signing from Boca Juniors. Really transformed the way Minnesota United was playing this season without a true number nine, which is a striker for those of you who don't know. It was nice to have him distributing. Dane St. Clair is going to keep that number one job. You would be, I'd be shocked if Dane St. Clair lost his starting job this season. Tyler Miller was not doing anything of note at goal this season. Losing Vito Minone was obviously huge. Not being able to get a contract for him done was huge, but Dane St. Clair looks like a good good uh, pair of safe hands between the sticks. But we didn't talk about this. After the Bills-Niners game on Monday Night Football, we'll get to the Bills-Steelers game in a little bit, my dad and I flipped it over to Minnesota United versus Seattle. It was about the 70th minute of the game, somewhere around there. I don't know why I forgot to talk about this when we talked about the... I guess it was just because we didn't talk about the Bills-Niners game that extensively. My dad and I saw four goals in this game. The final score is 3-2 to two, Seattle. I'm not even a... I, I don't like... Minnesota United, obviously they're one of Sporting's biggest rivals, if not their biggest rival. I mean, recently, yes, I would argue that Real Salt Lake is a bigger rivalry to Sporting Kansas City in regards to history, but if we're talking geographical location, then yeah, Minnesota United Sporting's closest rival. But if you look at the map of the MLS, Sporting is like all by itself in the middle of the country. And then they added in the likes of Minnesota United. And then St. Louis City will be coming in uh, either next, is it two years from now or next, two years from now, I believe. Because Austin's coming in this year, I think. I don't know. I don't know how the expansion team's going to go, how that's going to work out. But Austin, Charlotte, Sacramento, and St. Louis are all having teams when they get implemented. I couldn't, I honestly couldn't tell you when they're coming to the league. But yeah, uh, Seattle. Awesome game. Uh, brought on Will Bruin. Great substitution there. Granted, the best uh, emergency subs in MLS history. If we're talking about playoff goals, Will Bruin has done a lot of that. Not a, He's an alright starter, but he's a better person to come off the bench. As I said, Seattle has the best front line in the MLS. When, I'm This year, anyways. Because, obviously, you would like to throw in Atlanta United or LAFC in that regards as well. But this season, it's hard to argue with three... MVP candidates and Jordan Morris, uh, Rui Diaz, and Ladero all in that conversation. Now, Puzello 
won the MVP, which is weird to give an MVP to somebody whose team lost to a seven seed in the first round of the playoffs, but that's neither here nor there. I didn't, I didn't vote for him, so I don't really care. It doesn't hurt me either way. None of Sporting's players were in the running for any awards this year, so I don't really care. Uh, but yeah, uh, Minnesota sat back stupidly. When you're playing against the team with the best attack, you're going to give them space to work? That doesn't really seem like a, a foolproof plan. That kind of seems like we don't really know what we're doing. And when Seattle was bringing on subs, they brought in experienced players. Gustav Svensson, Will Bruin, two of the most experienced players on that Sounders team. Gustav Svensson went to the 2018 World Cup with Sweden. Those are experienced players that have been there, done that with Seattle and other teams. Will Bruin's been on a lot of MLS teams over the years. And the class that... Seattle had and they knew we have been here before. This is not something new. We know what we need to do. And they did it. Came out 1-3-2. One of the most exciting last 10 minutes of a game I've ever watched in my entire life that didn't involve a team that I supported. I really didn't care. Now, I would have rather seen Seattle win. I know all the MLS fans and haters out there. And I know this is something that goes on in every sport. Like, oh, I hate the Warriors. Oh, I hate the Patriots. I hate Alabama. Although the only reason we hate them is because they win. Now the Patriots, they have other things going on and my dad always raised me to hate the Patriots above everything else. So I have my reasons for hating the Patriots. But Golden State is a very fun team to watch. I don't know why we hate them because they just keep winning. I don't get why people like, I hate that team. Why? Because they keep winning. Okay. Sorry, stop them then. Get your team to stop them. I don't know. I didn't, it wouldn't have bothered me if Seattle won another MLS Cup. It wouldn't, I wouldn't have cared less. They didn't beat Sporting on the way there. I have no personal vendetta against Seattle. Uh, my favorite U.S. soccer player of all time, Clint Dempsey, did wonders for Seattle with Obafemi Martins. Now, I'm surprised, to be honest, that that team never got to an MLS Cup, but these recent teams have because... Chad Marshall, Clint Dempsey, Obafemi Martin, Stephen Fry was still there. Uh, Brad Evans was the captain. Uh, Ozzy Oswaldo, Ozzy Alonzo from Minnesota United, he used to play for Seattle. They had an experienced squad. And, I mean, this Seattle team's ridiculous. I'm not going to not put anything wrong. Nicholas Adero, I remember when he signed, it was a freaking amazing deal for them. But, yeah, it wouldn't have bothered me if Seattle won this. Congrats, congrats to Columbus, Caleb Porter. One of the greatest coaches in MLS history, and Portland fired him. Just think about that. Like, Caleb Porter has now won two MLS Cups with two different teams. Now, I don't know if I heard this right, but I believe they said he's the first coach to do so, to win an MLS Cup with two different teams. I could be wrong on that. I could be very wrong. I don't. I think that's what they said. But I was shocked when Portland fired Caleb Porter to begin with, and then... Of course he gets a job right away. And then, of course, he goes on to win an MLS Cup. And, of course, Portland loses in the first round of the playoffs. Of course. Just had to happen. Columbus has got... They're a fun team. Got a lot of really, really fun players on every aspect of this team. They're they're a very, very fun team to watch. Lucas Zalarian uh, balled out in this game. Uh, Jayassi Zardes didn't even need to do anything in this game, if we're being honest. Uh, Etienne... Scored, I believe he scored two goals, if I remember correctly. I'm looking at the... Oh, he scored one of the goals. I know Zerilarian got... Uh, oh, he Zerilarian got two two goals and an assist. I thought... My brain said he had three assists. I am wrong. I apologize. And this also didn't help. They didn't have the likes of Darling Tignagby there, a very experienced MLS player. That hurts a little bit. So when you see that and see a fully healthy, or at least generally healthy... Seattle Sounders team with Rui Diaz, Ladero, Jordan Morris, Christian Roldan, all playing, kind of scares you a little bit. But, man, Columbus played the exact opposite of what everybody thought they would do, and that's just sit back. They took the attack to Seattle, and I don't think Seattle was ready for that. I think they went in with the same mindset that everybody watching the game thought was that, oh, they're just going to sit back. The entire match, we're going to be able to counterattack. They're going to try and go on the counterattack. Nope, didn't happen. And Columbus caught them out numerous times. Alex Roldan, Roldan, brother Christian Roldan, struggled at right back mightily in this game. And Columbus 
ate them out. They just dominated the game. It was not even close. It wasn't anywhere. It was never close the entire game. Harrison Awful, he had a very good game as well. Uh, down the right-hand side at right back for Columbus. There, man. I did not expect this. I'm not now. I'm not saying I'm surprised the Columbus won. I'm surprised by how much they dominated this game. That's the fact. That is why I'm surprised. I'm not shocked they won. I had them going to the conference finals and was like a second away from putting them in the championship game, but I didn't. And instead, I put a Philadelphia in there who lost the first round of New England Revolution. But that's neither here nor there. But yeah, they dominated the MLS's back tournament. Uh, in the in the group stage, I should say, then lost in the first round of the tournament. Um, struggled a little bit to find consistency in the middle of the season, but eventually got it down and got them an MLS Cup. So congratulations to Columbus. They've been through a lot. Them and their fans have been through a lot these past, what, three, four, five years about the move to, I think, Austin was the move that they were going to do before Austin did the expansion team. So you never like seeing teams relocated because you know – how much it, the teams mean to those locations, especially Columbus. As we talked about before, Matt Fire Stadium was the very first soccer-specific stadium in the MLS. Now, it's old. That means it's old, but it's history right there. That's, what, that's the start of the MLS was Matt Fire Stadium. The U.S. national team, they have great success playing at Matt Fire Stadium. So, I'm, proud, I'm happy the Columbus crew won. Again, didn't have a dog in the fight, so I could have taken or leave whoever won that game but i'm i'm happy that columbus won for their fans for their players for caleb porter i'm happy for all of it a very fun game to watch even though it was a very 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 one-sided affair in this congratulations to all the teams that made the playoffs congratulations to nashville miami who even though miami didn't even make it past the play-in game they still technically made the playoffs so, congratulations to Miami and Nashville, two expansion teams that made the playoffs in their first season. Now, Miami had a lot of financial backing to get the players like Gonzalo Higuain, Blaise Matuidi, but they still made it. So, they're going to get Miami is going to get a lot of very good players. Antoine Griezmann, Ronaldo, whoever. Griezmann, I think, will be the next big name to come over to the MLS. I think he can be like that. David Beckham's his favorite player of all time. This has been well documented. I think that Griezmann would be one of those dudes that comes over to the MLS a lot earlier than what people expect him to. Because he's had a very topsy-turvy time playing for Barcelona. Maybe he comes over to the MLS and Miami's going to be the team he goes to. Now, the LA Galaxy, a few years ago, easily would have got him. LA Galaxy were untouched. They had Beckham, Roy, uh, Robbie Keane, Landon Donovan. They were untouchable at that time. It was them in Houston. Houston Dynamo, who have not been good since they won the MLS Cup, or when the, the MLS lost the MLS Cup in, out to LA. Those two teams were dominant in the early 2010s, the late 2000s. Those two teams were always in the MLS Cup. And Houston's going through a rebrand. Montreal is going through a rebrand. Um, and I can't wait for the MLS Twitter account to go, it's called soccer while half the teams are called football club or FC in the league. So that's, that's another thing that I've made fun of a lot of the MLS about because they've gone on random tangents with people about uh, it's called soccer, not football. And then literally like LA United FC, Chicago Fire FC, FC Cincinnati, uh, FC Dallas, LA FC, Inter-Miami CF, um, Minnesota United FC, Montreal FC. They're rebranding to Mont from Montreal Impact. Um, next one, NYC FC. Then we've got, who else? Keep going down the line. Seattle Sounders FC, Toronto FC, Vancouver Whitecaps FC, Austin FC, Charlotte FC, and St. Louis City, which I think just sounds stupid, but that's... You could have just gone with St. Louis. You didn't need to add the city thing at the end of it. That just sounds stupid. But, yeah, you can't make fun of people or make fun of people calling it soccer or calling it football, and then you go, well, it's called soccer. And then literally over half the teams in the league go by FC or are majorly influenced by European teams, as we saw with, like, 
Sporting Kansas City, Inter Miami, teams like that were are very much influenced by St. Louis City. Like there's not it's not called St. Louis City. That's just that's they just randomly decided to throw that in there. Minnesota United is another thing that we can go off of. Uh, the DC United. Like there there's so much influence from European culture in regards to soccer that you cannot go on Twitter and then say it's called soccer not football and then look at how much European game has influenced the MLS over the years. But I'm not here to just talk about that. Um, Iowa and Iowa State played this weekend in basketball. Unsurprisingly, Iowa won. I'm not going to say anything more about that because there wasn't a lot to watch. It wasn't anything that surprised anybody. It was a game where... Let's put it like this. It went how everybody thought it would go. I'm not going to make fun of Iowa State because they're just... They're far off right now. Steve Prohm's got to get his recruits in. and But, hey, Taylor Horton Tucker, last night for the Los Angeles Lakers, or Sunday night, 33 points. So, there's a big up for you guys. But it's not really anything to talk about. Uh, Iowa beat Northern Illinois on Sunday. Uh, big news from you and I, A.J. Green is out for the season. With He's going through the hip surgery. We talked about that a little bit. Uh, yeah, A.J. get back healthy. Uh, don't rush anything back. Jordan Bohannon went through a, through a sim- similar surgery or similar ordeal last year. So get back healthy. A.J., obviously the most important player on the UNI Panthers team. And if he's not healthy and playing hurt, that only hurts his future. And the, if he's trying to play while hurt, that can also hurt the team, which I don't think he's that type of person to do that. So I think he's smart in taking this season off, getting healthy, get back healthy next year. You and I is a very young team. They look young in the way they play, not just in their faces, but how they play and how they struggle with closing out games. They don't have those experienced players. Now, obviously, Austin Fife is there, Trey Burhouse there, Taiwan Pickford's there. But last year with Isaiah Brown leaving, Spencer Haldeman leaving, uh, Austin Fife leaving, Luke McDonald leaving, that is big in regards to leadership and the experience that that Panthers team had because those four players played a lot of minutes over the years for you and I, especially Haldeman and Isaiah Brown. Five played a lot of minutes off the bench. Luke McDonald started his every game his junior year, so those are big losses. They didn't score a lot of points. I mean, Spencer Haldeman would put up around, what, he averaged like 12 points last year. Isaiah Brown, the best defender in the conference, so you lose the best defender, one of the best shooters in the conference, and then a lot of height in McDonald and Fife leaving. Fife was seven foot tall. You and I's tallest person is, or not Fife, um, not Austin Fife. Oh, crap. Dahl. Justin Dahl. I don't know why I kept saying Fife. Fife is still at you and I. Justin Dahl is seven foot tall. Big country, Justin Dahl. I don't know why I kept saying Fife. We've interviewed Fife before. Fife is the most one of the most experienced players on this Panthers team. And next year, you know what? The entire starting lineup, I think, minus Pickford and Burhau. Maybe even Pickford will be back. Burhau, I think, is a senior. So, you go into next season, you lose Burhau, which is a huge loss. Don't get me wrong. He's the second best player. third. You could, Probably third best player behind Fife and behind Green and Fife. But, he's a scorer. He's UNI's best scorer they have right now. And, he'll be a big loss next year when he's gone. Uh... College football with Iowa and Iowa State. Iowa State was on a bye. They have the conference championship this weekend. Congratulations to Iowa State again on making it to the Big 12 championship game. Uh, Iowa, in one of the most boring games I've watched in a very long time, beat Wisconsin 28-7. Yeah, there's not a lot to talk about it. Mir Smith-Marset was the best player in the game. I don't know. I really don't know how to talk about this, this game. It was an absolute snooze fest. I pl- my dad and I went on and plowed snow on Saturday night, or uh, yeah, Saturday morning into Saturday afternoon, right before the Iowa game started. We plowed snow from about 3 o'clock in the morning till about 2.20 in the afternoon. So we were tired. And then watching that game it didn't really energize you in any way whatsoever. It was one of the most boring games I've watched in a very long time. And this is something we've talked about a lot with Iowa. Even in their blowout games, 
they're not fun to watch. Not even in their blowout games. They're they're boring. They're a miserable team to watch this year. And they're blowing out teams. Which is sad that they're allowed to blow out teams. Graham Mertz didn't look very good. They were without their starting running back, which they found out like right before the game started. It was a miserable, miserable game. It was six to nothing at halftime. Field goals. Like, let's look at the drive breakdowns for these games. Punt. Iowa punt. Wisconsin fumble. Iowa field goal. Wisconsin punt. Punt, 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 punt. Downs, field goal, end of half. That was the first half. So, I apologize if I did not pay close attention to that game whatsoever. This was one of the most boring games I have watched. And it was 20-7. to It was, other than Amir Smith-Marset's front flip into the end zone, nothing about this game was fun. Now, later in the day, later that evening, I should say, there was a fun game. It was LSU and Florida. There was actually quite a few fun games at the later end of the day. Uh... I've never seen a game end like this. So, Kyle Trask didn't have his best game. And we'll talk about Kyle Trask and Matt Jones in a little bit. But, LSU, they're done. Their drive's over. And it gets extended by a penalty. Not by a normal penalty. But by a Florida player hucking an LSU player's shoe about 20 yards down the field. Which extends LSU's drive. And makes them... It proceeds... To allow, uh, what's his name, Cade York, to drill a game-winning field goal from 57 yards out. Now, it wasn't the game-winning, eventually it was the game-winning field goal, but it wasn't like his time expired. Florida had a chance. With Kyle Trask at the helm, you knew they were going to have at least a chance at this. And he got him down the field. Announcer jinx. Missed the field goal wide left and LSU wins the game with a true freshman quarterback and Max Johnson or a freshman quarterback through three touchdowns in the game no interceptions and Florida will go in the SEC championship game against Bama with a loss on their head and we've talked about this all season essentially that ever since Trevor Lawrence has been out or when it, when he <clears throat> when he was when he had covid and he wasn't playing. And then Ohio State with the Big Ten, they were like, well, he can't win it. He hasn't played. He's played six games or five games, however many games. And Michigan, I remember we joked about this, how Michigan should fake COVID. Um, they're playing this week against Iowa, and it seems like everything's full go at their practice facility. They didn't play Saturday against Ohio State. So, uh, yeah, I think Michigan... Uh, uh, how do I say this politely? It pussied out against Ohio State, if that's the way the kids are saying it nowadays. I think that's exactly what they did. And yeah, I don't. It would have been like a seventy to nothing game for Ohio State, but at least play it. It's the game. It's one of the best rivalries in college football. I mean, very lopsided in recent history. I think Michigan, all time. I think Michigan has the lead in the rivalry, but. In recent memory, good lord, it hasn't even been close to being close. It's been terrible rivalry. But it's still always fun to watch. But, so ever since, like, Fields, no one knew what they, Ohio State and the Big Ten were doing. Trevor Lawrence had COVID. It was going down the Heisman to two people. And that is Mac Jones and Kyle Trask. And for the past few weeks, I've been saying Kyle Trask is going to win the Heisman. That is no more. Uh... This game, so similarly to Patrick Mahomes this week throwing three interceptions against the Miami Dolphins, and essentially, maybe not, but I would think at this point in time, Aaron Rodgers is going to win the MVP because of a game like this where Patrick Mahomes was in the driver's seat, but throwing three picks in a game, that's going to hurt your chances of the MVP. Kyle Trask against LSU who was without Derek Stingley, who got their best safety ejected for targeting, proceeded to throw two interceptions in the game and complete barely, if even... Okay, completed just over 60% of his passes. Or might have completed exactly 60% of his passes. 
27 of 49. Or 47. 29 of 47. Threw for 474 yards, but when you throw 47 times, I expect you to have over 400 yards at least. He still threw two interceptions in the game. Gave Florida a chance to win. He also fumbled once in the game as well. Um, yeah, much like Mahomes this weekend throwing th- three picks, the Heisman and the MVP race have flipped, and now it is Mac Jones' trophy to lose at this point. And when Alabama beats up on Florida in the SEC championship game, Mac Jones will be given the Heisman Trophy at the end of the season. Mac Jones didn't throw a touchdown this week. He didn't really need to because they just absolutely slaughtered Arkansas by halftime. They're up 38 to nothing at half, 38 to three at halftime. Uh, Brian Robinson had three rushing touchdowns. Najee Harris had two. Jace McClellan had one touchdown. Like they just ran all over Arkansas. Devontae Smith had 22 yards receiving. If I had to say who's going to go or who deserves, it, it, it's a two-horse race at this point between Trask and Jones. Whether that's fair or not, it's going to be a two-horse race between Trask and Jones. And I think that Bryce Brees Hall will feel hard done by by the fact that it's a quarterback trophy, essentially. It's a quarterback and running back trophy. And unless the quarterbacks are having a very bad year, they're going to win the Heisman more often than not. And Mac Jones, for his consistency this year, now, if he was on a different team, would his numbers be a little different? Yeah. I don't think he does anything that spectacular. But that doesn't matter. It's not, The numbers matter. He's fourth in the nation in passing yards. He's about to break a passing record for yards per attempt or yards per completion, breaking Kyler Murray's record. Uh, he has less turnovers than Trask, less touchdowns, but less turnovers. He completes 76% of his passes, which is the best. Now, I'm just scrolling down this list a little bit. The best in the top 50 by a wide margin. Zach Wilson's the next, and then Matt Corral for Mississippi or Ole Miss is right there as well. But 76% completion percentage, averages 11.7 yards per attempt. Again, college record. He has the best passer rating. In college football with 203.9, which is the only quarterback in the top 50, even top 10, if you want to just go and hyper-analyze this, the only one above 200. He has three interceptions of 27 touchdowns this year, 3,300 yards. Yeah, I. he has almost 100 less attempts than Kyle Trask, which can boost completion percentage numbers, but no disrespect to Kyle Trask, 40 touchdowns, 5 picks, is nothing to be snuffed at. But what the Heisman committee will look at, what the voters will look at, is A, did you beat who you're supposed to beat? Alabama's case, yes. Alabama's a lot better team than Florida, but yes. Interest didn't have pits in this game. He was out. I don't know what the reason was, but he didn't play. Saw him walking around on the sideline with no shoulder pads on. They care about did you beat the teams you're supposed to beat? Did you win the biggest games? And if you're a quarterback, did you win the Natty? Which Trask is not going to have an ability to do either one, either of those things, because he lost to LSU and Texas A&M, two teams. Even though A&M's fifth in the nation, Florida should beat Texas A&M. Are they going to win the SEC championship game? No, they're not. I'm sorry, Alabama's going to win that. And then, are they going to win a Natty? Well, they can't. They're not beating Alabama in the SEC championship game. They're not going to have an opportunity to win a national championship. So, no. Alabama, at the end of the season, is going to be ranked number one. Florida will probably be ranked around the 7-8 range. Maybe jump up a little bit. I would say probably seventh when it's all said and done. The only team I think has a shot at beating Bama is a fully healthy Clemson team. But I don't even think they'll beat Alabama this year. Alabama, as we talked about during the draft, brought back a lot of their players that were eligible for the draft last year. Very good players. I did a mock draft yesterday. Six Alabama players in my latest mock draft went in the first round. That is crazy numbers. That's how good this Bama team is this year. And I'd be shocked if they didn't win up, take home the Natty this year. And Mac Jones, at this point, I'd be shocked if he didn't win the Heisman. I love Kyle Trask. I really love his story going from backup in high school to Heisman hopeful and being talked about in the first round of the NFL draft but yeah
Mac's gonna win this. I now do the two people. The funny part about this is we talked about this with college basketball a lot. The two quarterbacks that are gonna be talked about in the Heisman Trophy race and Trask and Mac Jones are the fifth and sixth best prospects in regards to quarterback rankings for the upcoming NFL draft. In my rankings, I would put it as uh, Her or Herbert Lawrence number one, then Justin Fields, and then base be- just because he's had an amazing year this year, and the other quarterbacks played one game. I'm putting Zach Wilson above Trey Lance, then Trey Lance at four, and then you could toss up either Mac Jones or Kyle Trask, and I'd be fine with it. And then the same goes for number six as well. I think that Mac Jones will go in the first round. Trask. Maybe, at least at this point in time. Neither one of them are extremely mobile. Trask is bigger, has a bigger arm than Mac Jones. So that'll be, if that's what NFL coaches are looking for. But again, neither one of them are that mobile. (coughs) You look at the top four quarterbacks in the draft. In Lawrence, Fields, Wilson, and Lance. Three things they are, are extremely athletic, accurate, and winners. Nothing against not, not the winners thing. Yes, Trask and Jones have that, but and they're both accurate as well. But they're not the big thing with the way the NFL is turning now. And this is early two thousands. Both those two, well, uh, maybe not, but they might be going number two overall in the draft, especially Trask. But this year, with the way the NFL is turning, quarterbacks like Fields, Wilson, Lance. Now, Fields and uh, Lance are actually big dudes. They're 6'3", about 230 pounds. Like, they're big dudes. But Wilson getting drafted and say, like, even talked about in the top 10 was ridiculous to think about 10 years ago. Smaller dude is accurate. He's very accurate and can run the ball extremely well. And has a very has a good arm as well. So those are easily the top four. Jones and Trask will have to battle out for the fifth quarterback in the draft. It depends on what the teams want. Uh, The Saints, I think, are a good fit for Mac Jones. They have to draft a quarterback. I don't care. I've talked about this, that I do not believe Taysom Hill is the franchise guy. Numerous times, I could be proved wrong about that in the future, but after watching what happened against the Philadelphia Eagles and watching what he did against not great defenses, against the Falcons twice, and then... I'm not going to discredit the Broncos' defense, but it hasn't been the most elite this year. But the Falcons' defense. Historically, this season, one of the worst defenses ever. And they put up only 21 points and 24 against the Falcons the first time. 21 the last time. And Taysom Hill's starting to get a little found out. And when you watch them play against the Eagles this week with Jalen Hurts, which... Congrats to Jalen Hurts on his NFL debut. Very good NFL debut. Love Jalen Hurts. Love him the person. Love the athlete. Love the quarterback. Whatever. I love Jalen Hurts. Is Jalen Hurts the future for the Eagles? Time will tell. But they looked really good. And this is the thing that is going to get talked about and has been talked about today. This is the same team that Carson Wentz was dealing with all year. Against a top five defense in the league in the New Orleans Saints. So a lot of people, including myself, thought the Saints would win this one easily. Or not maybe not easily, but win by the spread. The Eagles the Saints were favored by a touchdown. I thought they'd win they thought they'd cover the spread. Maybe not by like a 20 point game, but should be able to beat them. The Eagles looked motivated. Car- Jalen Hurts stood in there. There was one shot he had uh for his touchdown pass to Alshon Jeffrey where he took a shot. I don't remember who it was against. He took an absolute shot, stood in there, delivered the ball to Jeffrey, who scored a touchdown, and got back up and celebrated. Hurts also put up over 100 yards rushing in the game. This is Jalen Hurts is what the Saints thought or think at this point in time Taysom Hill is. I think Taysom Hill is a great uh, situational quarterback, but he's not a franchise guy and he's not a franchise star. He's not a starter, like number one guy going into the camp. He's freaking 30 years old. Now he's finally passed the Danny Thompson passing yards in his career. I think the Saints have to go after a quarterback, whether it be in the first round or the second round, because, again, Mac Jones and Kyle Trask have been talked up as far as 15th or somewhere in the top 15 to second round. There's there's a lot of the 
analysis of these two in regards to where they're going in the draft is very wayward. And no one really knows where they're going to go. The first four, all of them will go top 15. For the first two, they're going top two. For Lance and Wilson, they'll go somewhere in the top 15. Maybe both of them in the top 10. Time will tell. But the Saints, whether it be in the first round or the second round or wherever, they're going after a quarterback. They have to. Breeze is retiring. I know you got Jameis Winston, but he's not what you would consider the future of the franchise or a guaranteed starter because he can't keep turning the ball over. I think Mac Jones and say Michael Thomas will work very, very well together. You see how Mac Jones does with Devontae Smith. I think that could be very similar with Michael Thomas. And I think with Jamar Chase being out this year and Jalen Waddell being hurt, Devontae Smith's draft stock is going through the freaking roof at this point in time. Devontae Smith, people don't talk, haven't talked about Devontae Smith a lot or didn't talk about him a lot last year because obviously you had Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs going in the first round. So not a lot of people are going to talk about Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith led Alabama in receiving yards last year. Like, Devontae Smith is going in the top 10 in this draft. I don't, I know the NFL wants to go towards these fast wide receivers, but if we're talking about pure wide receivers, Devontae Smith and Jamar Chase are the two best in this draft. I love Jalen Waddell. I love his versatility. I love his speed. Love the love everything about Jalen Waddell. But... Devontae Smith is a better wide receiver than Jalen Waddle at this point in time. Now, it obviously helps the fact that Waddle's hurt. So Devontae Smith is getting a lot of attention from Mac Jones and a lot of attention from scouts. That kind of helps a case of a guy that's like, look at me go. I'm putting up great numbers. But when he, I don't want to disrespect Jalen Waddle because, again, I think he's a great receiver. But he should – Devontae Smith – could be, just because of the fact some coaches might not like the fact Jamar Chase sat out, go with Devontae Smith as the first wide receiver in the draft. I wouldn't be shocked by that. Going into last season, a lot of people weren't really shocked. Like, when the NFL draft was going on, I said I wouldn't be shocked if Henry Ruggs went first. I don't think he's the best wide receiver in this draft class, but I wouldn't be shocked if he went first. He went first. As it turns out, Justin Jefferson is the best receiver in this draft class. As far as pure wide receivers go, yeah, I could see that going into the draft as well. I don't know if we talked about it immensely, but like CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, uh, Justin Jefferson were the best pure wide receivers. And the Eagles still decided to take Jalen Rager above Jefferson. That's funny. We t- we made fun of the Eagles enough for that. But yeah, uh, congrats to Jalen on his first start. Will he be the Eagles franchise guy? Time will tell. Uh, Doug Peterson said that he's going to start this week as well. And this week, the Philadelphia Eagles will take on the Arizona Cardinals. So, the guy Jalen Hurts replaced in Oklahoma. See how that goes for the Eagles this weekend. They're not playing exactly until the last game of the year. They play the Cardinals and Cowboys. Defense, I think Jalen Hurts could put up decent numbers against. But then the Washington football team, that's a stagnant defense right there. My first preseason predictions thing I did, I had the Washington football team going 5-11. Changed it because their offense was so bad. I was like, oh, they got to go. I know their defense is awesome. They're going to be awesome with Elijah Chase Young. And others, but I changed it to three and thirteen, and that's one of the predictions I hate the most out of the ones that I changed. I can't think of any other ones off the top of my head that I really was like adamant that this would happen, and then flipped it. Uh, the Washington Football Team's that one hurts a little bit. Uh, other, there's a lot of predictions in this NFL season that hurt. Like uh, I'm gonna, I, I had the Bills going eleven and five. They're ten and three right now. And at this point in my predictions thing, I think I had him at 10-3. and three. So you know what? I will take that. Uh, Dolphins won him way off. I thought they were a year out. Turns out they were ready this year. And the Ravens, way off. I said whoever would win the Chiefs-Ravens game would go 13-3. Other one 12-4. Chiefs won that game. I had the Ravens winning it. So that's where that one hurts. Uh, the Texans, I didn't think they'd be as good as a lot of, what a lot of people were thought they would be. But not 4-9 and nine bad. Uh, Broncos, they're a lot worse than I thought. The Raiders are better than I thought they'd be. The Chargers, I thought they'd get to 500. I thought they had too much talent to not go 500, but whatever. Every team in the NFC East, I'm not going to talk too much about that because that one kind of speaks for itself. Minnesota Vikings, again, I got way wrong. Um, Rams and Cardinals and Niners, I got way wrong. Well, Cardinals could still happen, but Rams... 
yeah, that one hurts a little bit. But you know what? We move. You can't get every prediction right. This year was a wash year anyways for me for predictions. So I do not care. Do not care whatsoever. And we kind of talked about this a little bit. Uh, Talk about the NFL draft a little bit. And it can be a really hit and miss system. So, like, one person could rank Trevor Lawrence as the number one overall quarterback. But some people could say, oh, we really like Justin Fields. Or, for some reason, we want to take Zach Wilson number one overall over Trevor Lawrence. Which, at this moment, seems ridiculous. It could change in the coming years and go like, wow, Zach Wilson should easily gone number one overall. But, at this point in time, it's going to be Trevor Lawrence. I would be shocked, but... Good luck to the Jets, or good luck to you on the Jets, Trevor. And Sam, I don't know where he'll go. Did the Colts take a quarterback? They're paying a lot of money to Jacoby Brissett, so I don't know if they put a lot of time and money into Carson Wentz. They do have a lot of draft picks, and if they get rid of their quarterbacks, they'll have some space, but uh, I don't know where Wentz goes. I don't know where Carson Wentz goes. That was going to be a tough one. Jimmy G... He'll probably go back to New England. I think that's best-case scenario for both of them. Will the Niners draft a quarterback? Time will tell. Will they get one in the second round? I don't know if they'll go one in the first, but second round, I think that's wide open for them. Yeah, but the draft's a very, very... And we've we've talked about the draft numerous times on the show, obviously. But we, and we talked about this in the fact that it can be hit and miss. Like, we talked about Russell Wilson going to the third round. Like, the Bills taking TJ Graham over... Russell Wilson, the fact that Dak Prescott was a fourth-round draft pick. Oh, everybody says that Sam Darnold's the best quarterback in this draft class, and he's barely above Josh Rosen only because of the fact Josh Rosen hasn't played that much since getting drafted. And Josh Rosen, top 10 pick. He's played, the, what, 13 games in the NFL? Like, the draft's not an exact science here. Brady went to the sixth round, and Josh Allen... Divided draft critics everywhere. Like everybody was trying to figure out what this kid is. He's got a strong arm. He's athletic. He's got accuracy issues. Whatever, whatever, whatever. That got talked about a lot. Uh, watched his film. I watched a lot of it prior to the draft because I was trying to get a read on him. Watched the Iowa game. Watched him absolutely get brutalized by Drew Ott for like the entirety of the game. And, yeah, he just got beat up because the O-line was not great, as you would expect. And, obviously, the weapons weren't great either. He lost a lot of people from his, what was it, uh, sophomore to junior year of college. Or, uh, what what, what year was it? Because he left early. I I don't remember. But, that one divided everybody. A lot of people were like, oh, the Browns won him. But as it turns out, according to Dan Patrick, right after the draft, that was just a coup to get the Bills trapped to number four. That, which would have cost the Bills a lot. But thankfully for them, they did not make the trade with either the Browns or the Broncos. And they were able to draft middle linebacker and captain Tremaine Edmonds. So it all worked out in the end. But Josh then is a lot different than Josh now. Going into the draft... Everybody knew he's the biggest project in the draft. If you want to use that word project, whatever. But if you look at the quarterbacks that got drafted that year, we got Baker, Sam Darnold, Josh, Allen and Rosen, and Lamar. And all we're just talking about first round guys. If we look at who those quarterbacks learned from to get them into the NFL, the Browns had Tyrod Taylor for Baker. And I, I, Drew Stanton was there as well, I believe. And then the Jets had Josh McCown and Teddy Bridgewater. The Cardinals had Sam Bradford. The Ravens had Joe Flacco and RG3. The Bills had A.J. McCarron and Nathan Peterman. Now, I know you're sitting there going, well, Logan, the Bills had Tyrod Taylor. But, yeah, they couldn't afford to keep him for that season. He was going to do for a massive pay rise, and the Bills weren't committed to him long-term to give him that size of contract. So they're like, trade him to Cleveland for a third-round pick. And ever since then, people like Dominique Foxworth and Bomani Jones, among others, have essentially, but not actually using the word, but essentially going by the narrative that Buffalo is racist. And I've seen this, this popped up on Twitter, and Buffalo fans are racist and stuff like that. 
that's popped up quite a bit. And Dominique Foxworth went on the show with Bomani Jones for his podcast earlier this week. And he basically said, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have the quote in front of me. It was essentially along the lines of every time Josh Allen, I would be lying if I didn't say every time Josh Allen messes up or every time he does something stupid, I smile a little bit. Because if you look at the fans of Buffalo, you go on their Twitter accounts and see what they like, it's not some great stuff. This is mind-boggling to me. I've talked about this a lot. Every, and I, I haven't talked about this exact point, and this is not an excuse for fans of the Bills that are like this, because there's fans of this in every uh, market in the NFL. There's bad people everywhere. So to pinpoint the fact that some people, and I'd love to find the fact of him showing me videos and pictures and tweets of stuff of Bills fans being absolutely racist and hating people just because they traded Tyrod Taylor, who threw 14 touchdowns the season prior. And we didn't get mad at the Cleveland Browns for trading or letting him go and benching him for Baker. We didn't get mad at the Chargers for puncturing his lung, ruining his chances starting in LA. We're still holding a grudge against Buffalo for trading him away and benching it. It's mostly because of the benching for Nathan Peterman. But it's a similar situation to the Eagles benching Carson Wentz. The Bills, two weeks before that Chargers game, were not in a good state as far as scoring and defense. There was the same thing that was going on with the Eagles. Change it to, Cart- to Jalen Hurts, Eagles flip the switch. They're playing a top-five defense. They had no business beating the New Orleans Saints, but they did. The Bills going against a Chargers team that's motivated and is on a little bit of a hot streak. They're starting to gain their momentum for the season. And Peterman sucks. There's no other way to put it. Through five interceptions and a half, not great. But ever since then, and ever since Tyrod got traded, it's all Buffalo's racist. And they draft Josh Allen. Oh, what's he doing? You You traded away Tyrod Taylor, this amazing quarterback that threw 14 touchdowns, but he doesn't turn the ball over. I don't see you guys beating the drum for Alex Smith. I mean, everybody is now because it's a great story, but no one was beating the drum for Alex Smith to keep his job at Kansas City when they traded him to Washington. No one's like, oh, Kansas City should keep his job, should keep him there. Alex Smith was so much better in Kansas City than Tyrod Taylor was in Buffalo. And then the whole thing about the, this stuff was stupid. My dad and I talked about this the other day because, or Sunday, it was on Sunday, of Alex Smith returned to San Fran, Andy Dalton returned to Cincy. There was one more, but I can't remember what the game was. There was someone returned home to their old team. And Bills fans were like, would you boo Tyrod? No. Why would any, when Tyrod came back for the Chargers to Buffalo? No. No one would boo Tyrod. And there's stupid fans in every single fan base, which is newsflash to some people. There's stupid fans everywhere. There's bad people everywhere. So to pinpoint the fact that, oh, but again, I'm not, they didn't say the word, but it's the way they talk about it, how Buffalo is racist and some of their fans tweet not nice things and like not nice things. So they're racist. So we're going to pigeonhole an entire group of people that they're racist because we got rid of Tyrod Taylor. That's essentially what this comes down to. People like Bomani Jones have not liked the Bills since they got rid of Tyrod Taylor and drafted Josh Allen. That has been this dead set locked in analysis of Josh Allen is that he sucks. He's not Tyrod Taylor. Look at his numbers. You're telling me Tyrod Taylor couldn't do this. Therefore, Buffalo, i.e. Buffalo is racist. That's essentially what it comes down to. So, of course, Bills fans, in their normal fashion, start donating a Dom, uh, Bomani Jones charity fund. We're going to ignore the fact that they donated over $600,000 to Josh Allen and to the Oshai Children's Hospital. We're going to ignore the fact with how much money they donated to Andy Dalton's charity. But we're just going to stick, sticking it in that if you look at their Twitter accounts and hear what they say, this has been a narrative that's gone on for a while, and it's because Buffalo's in a weird part of New York. It's not New York that you picture it. Not people picture Buffalo as, oh, that's New York City. No, that's the Jets and Giants. They're New York City. The Bills are in suburban New York, whatever you want to call it. So it's easier for them to go, yo, yeah, this, that, yeah. It's annoying. You see it everywhere. 
And even when Josh Allen's been playing good this year, it's like, nope, still don't like him. Nick Wright's done that. Not necessarily for the same things Bomani Jones has and Dominique Foxworth has, but what I love, I'd be lying if I said I didn't smile every time he does something stupid. Because we hate Bills Mafia. Because the small sample size of their fans, as every single fan base has stupid people in it. No way. Oh, jeez, my brain's exploding because I'm so amazed that there's stupid, dumbass fans in every single fan base. I bet if you went through a lot of people, of fans, Twitter accounts, social media accounts, every single team, there's going to be idiots in all of them. That's the dumb part, and that's the beauty and the pain of being fans of something. Because you have idiots that pipe up and they're the, the loud minority that make everything else seem bad. And he hasn't provided examples. He just said it, and no one's going to backtrack on it. But Josh Allen, again, for the Buffalo Bills, didn't have a great first half against the Steelers. Started the second half by going 11 for 11. Bills won Sunday Night Football. Um, he's in the MVP race still. He's not going to win it, but he's in there. And, yeah, it's going to take a lot. I don't know what it will take for these people like Nick Wright, Bomani Jones, Dominic Foxworth, people that just dislike Josh Allen for the sake of disliking Josh Allen without any real reasoning behind it. Other than the stuff we've already talked about. You're telling me he's better than Tyra Taylor? Yes. It doesn't take a genius to realize that. I think Tyra Taylor has been hard done by in his NFL career. I think it's unfair that the stuff he's gone through. But do I think he's a franchise quarterback? No. Nobody nobody in their right mind should think that. I'm sorry. Tyra Taylor threw 14 touchdown passes last year in Buffalo. He played 15 games. Started 15 games. And we're going... Yeah, he's a franchise guy. 14 touchdowns. No one was beating the drum for Alex Smith to keep his job in Kansas City. Why were we beating the drum to keep his job in Buffalo? He's not the reason the Bills went to the playoffs. If you watch the game against the Jaguars in the playoffs, Tyra Taylor sucked. Blake Bortles sucked. That was one of the worst quarterback matchups I've ever seen in my entire life. The Bills made the playoffs because Andy Dalton made a miracle play to Tyler Boyd against the Ravens, and the Chargers didn't have a kicker for the first part of the season. And it turns out, said kicker, Young Way Koo, is actually a baller. He's one of the best kickers, if not the best kicker in the NFL this year for the Falcons. But man, it's just so annoying that that's still getting thrown around. Buffalo's small market. No one's really going to fact check this or anything. It's not the big market teams like the Jets, the Giants, the Chargers, Rams, or dynasties like the Patriots or something like that. Or the Cowboys, America's team. So we can pick on this team because they're in a part of New York that we've never been to. Maybe they have. Maybe they have. Dominique Foxworth played in the NFL, so maybe he had been to Buffalo a few times. But I hate the narrative that, oh, it's a bad town with bad people. It's annoying. It's very annoying. And it could just be one of those things of trying to rally up fan base, you know, what gets clicks and stuff like that. Maybe it's something like that. Coward does it all the time with some of his picks and stuff like that. Maybe this is one of those to an extremer extent. Because there's one thing that will get more people rallied up than anything in the United States. Well, there's two things. Politics and race. Those are two things that will get talked about, and a lot of people have different says about any about the entire topic. I'm not saying Buffalo's perfect. The fan base, the town, the team, whatever. They're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. You go on Twitter, you go on any team's any fan of any team, there's going to be some people... Because, again, there's idiots in every fan group. I've repeated that about 500 times. And that's not me defending them or anything. I don't want to defend that because it's disgusting, despicable behavior that should never be done ever. ever. And people do it behind the safety of social media. 90% of those profiles don't either, either A, have their real name, or B, don't have their pro- actual picture of themselves. like some anime character or something. Or a picture of the team's logo. I'm not defending that at all. So I'm not saying that there isn't those people because there is, again, in every fan base. But to pigeonhole the Bills in that is annoying. And that your hatred for Josh Allen, I know he did the tweets in high, like when he was really, when he was in early high school to middle school. 
I'm sorry if that... It's not... It wasn't a great time. It wasn't a great... It wasn't a great scene for Josh at that point. Not, not a great thing to have on your resume. No one wants... No one should tweet that stuff to begin with. Especially when you're going to the NFL draft and that stuff surfaces up. Because then it's going to be blown up everywhere. No one should tweet that stuff ever. I don't care if it's lyrics or if it's a joke or something. That's what my dad's always told me. Make sure you never post anything on Twitter that could get you fired or anything like that. So I've made sure my Twitter has always been clean to at least some extent. I think I've cussed one time on my Twitter account, and that was on accident. I, I think I said something was ship, but I said shit instead. It was a big, big uh, kerfuffle on the Logan Blackman Twitter account. But yeah. It's not great. You never, you never want to see that from anybody, but the way... Josh has accepted it. He didn't push it away. He didn't go, well, I never tweeted that. He accepted it. And if you look how his teammates react to him, the only thing that I need to know about Josh Allen is how his teammates react around him. The way you can tell a person what a person is, as not just as a football player, but as a person, as a man, you look at what their teammates do and how they rally around him. White, black, Asian, whatever. They rally around Josh. So you can hate on Josh Allen all you want. You can call Bills Mafia or Buffalo racist, whatever. Even though you're not actually saying it, the, the lack of you saying it, the other stuff you're saying makes it pretty damn obvious of what you're saying. And the Bills will keep doing their thing. The Bills are 10-3, and three, probably to the national media, still looking for their signature win in the season, even though they just beat the 11 and, then 11-1 Steelers. After they've beaten, I, I took a screenshot of this earlier today. After they beat 11-2 Steelers, 9-4 Seahawks, 7-6 Raiders, 9-4 Rams, and 8-5 Dolphins. Still looking for their signature win of the season. And, yeah. I've talked about this enough. I, It's annoying. And I hate that we're going to this direction for how we dislike a player. Because it's like the people that hate uh, Lonzo Ball or LaMelo Ball because of LeVar Ball. It's a totally different thing i'm not comparing the two situations in that like oh one's obviously being an annoying dad that's all over social media and gets uh national media and divides opinions about him it's very out there versus racist it's not they're on two different ends of the spectrum but people dislike the ball family because of lavar ball is that fair for lonzo and lamello and leangelo no not at all i like the players i like them as people they seem like really cool guys and Lamelo, i hope he balls out i wanted him on the bulls but people hate the ball brothers because of lavar ball is it worth it no does it really make sense no but people do it and it's annoying i'm like why do you hate them what lonzo do i get i can get you kind of being annoyed by lavar ball but disliking them in general is kind of stupid goes back to the same thing like why do you hate the warriors what they do to you they just win. I'm sorry. I don't know. It's just annoying. I've talked to my friend Spencer about this a, new, a few times, and it's just... It's annoying. And again, I'd like to repeat this a thousand times. I'm not defending any of those fans that do post that stuff on social media because there's fans like that everywhere. And you can't teach stupid. That's one of the things that is the big problem here. So they probably won't change their social media accounts either. And with the two-party system, you're going to have people that have differing politics to you. So you're going to have that. Like, oh, he posted something about Trump. Oh, he posted something about Biden. I dislike him now. You're going to have that. But, man, can we stop going in on that Buffalo's racist thing? It's annoying. I'm sorry. They moved on from Tyrod Taylor. That doesn't make them racist. I hate that. It's so annoying. I've been to Buffalo. My dad's a Bills fan. I'm a Bills fan. I've met numerous people from Buffalo. Couldn't have a nicer group of people that I've experienced, anyways. But man, that's one of the that's one of the things like in sports that grinds my gears. That narrative, and it's annoying. But it's easy to do it as well. It's very easy to do that. And maybe again, maybe it is for clicks. I don't know. Maybe it is, but whatever. That's all I've got for you today. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed the show. I enjoyed it to a certain extent today. But, uh, yeah, that's all I've got for you today on this Tuesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. And I hope to hear from you sometime soon. 
I won't be doing a show anytime soon, but you know what? Hope to hear from all y'all soon. And yeah, enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy your Christmas break, whatever. I will see you guys later. Peace.